may set a record this morning on, uh, we may be on his first point. We'll be like going over to get the kids. So that's all right. We're going to be there by to eat. So Colossians chapter 4, I apologize for the handout. If you notice how weird they look, um, technical difficulties with the printer. So uh, if anybody's got a magnifying glass, they want to share that and be, uh, be a blessing to others, that'd be awesome. Um, so we're talking this morning about walking in wisdom, um, walking in wisdom, and obviously in Colossians chapter 4, we're going to try to define exactly what I believe the Apostle Paul is laying out here. Um, the Colossians is a very interesting book, and we'll kind of say more about this, but it, it, it parallels the church of Laodicea, and y'all know, um, which if you remember, I think it's been about two or three years ago, but Brother Lee actually preached through the book of Colossians, and he laid out those things, um, but Again, it, it ties directly with the church of Laodicea, um, so there's going to be some things that the Apostle Paul lays out that I think are extremely uh, applicable to us this morning. So let's read the text, and then I'll pray, and we'll kick into it. Colossians 4, verse 2, he says, Continue in prayer, and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us, that God would open to us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I, all, for which I am also in bonds. Verse 4 that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom. And man, if I could, if there could be anything, if you could get a hold of this verse right here, verse 5, I, I really want this to be in your spirit as we leave. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning, God. I God, I thank you for this book. Lord, I, speaking of walking in wisdom, I have nothing uh, of my own knowledge or intellect to, to share on this subject, Lord, outside of what you've given us in these pages. God, I pray that you would be the teacher through your word this morning and that you would, uh, you would, you would bear witness with those that know you, Lord, and that you would challenge them, that you would show them what your word is calling them to, and we would, be, we would obey that, we would walk in that, and therefore please you more in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So again, walking in wisdom, this, the, the uh, Laodicea is actually mentioned five times in the book of Colossians. So I know that's the, the word Laodicea is a word that we use a lot around here. I feel like I'm always talking about it. But it is, if, if, that, if that's something that, that doesn't resonate with you or you've never heard that, that is simply what's laid out in Revelation chapter 3, which is talking about the time frame in which you and I live. So we're in the church age. Christ came, he died on the cross, and he rose from the grave. At the moment of his death, he, that was the death of the testator. The New Testament actually started, and, and we, 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 we started transitioning in through the book of Acts into the church age. And so for the last 2,000 years, we've been in the church age. That's why this assembly is called the church. It's called a local church. And, and anybody that knows Jesus Christ, anybody that's accepted Christ, they are a part of the body of Christ. They're a part of the universal church. And so, and so in this, man, in, in Revelation chapter 3, what uh, John lays out is that there's this time frame in the church period. There's seven periods in the church age in that 2,000-year time frame where uh, he's laying out some things that describe our, our lives or describes the generation, if you will. And so in Revelation chapter 3, he's, he's laying out some things, and that's where we have those popular verses which says, that the Laodicean church is lukewarm, that they have need of nothing, that they, they think that they're, they got it all together, but they're actually poor, naked, blind, they're miserable, okay? 
So, so it's very interesting when, when, when kind of keeping that in the back of our mind as we approach uh, Colossians chapter 4, it's very important that we remember that. Because you can even see if you have your Bible open to Colossians 4, this is not going to be on your handout, but verse 16. This is what, this is what Paul says. And when, the, and when this epistle is read, okay, the, the, the epistle to the Colossians that we're reading here. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of Laodiceans. So that is why Colossians 3, if you, if you go back a chapter, it's probably the most disobeyed chapter in the Word of God today, and it's talking about seeking things above. It's talking about setting our affection on things that are eternal rather than things that are temporal. And so what, what the Apostle Paul is doing here in Colossians chapter 4 is he's sort of landing the plane, if you will. Like if you're, if you're writing a letter to somebody, we don't write letters, but maybe we write uh, long emails. And if you're a long email writer, I secretly dislike you because those people are, uh, make my life sometimes hard at work. But if you're writing an email and, and you're sort of trying to land the plane, you may say this, that the, the last part of your letter is simply trying to boil down everything that you've said and to give one final thing. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing here in Colossians 4. So the reason we did not read verse 1 is verse 1 says, Master's given to your servants. He's talking about an employee-employer relationship. And that actually stays in the context at, at the end of chapter 3, where he says in verse 22, servants obey in all your masters. Okay, so th that's the context. But then verse 2 through verse 6, which we already read, is Paul's final charge to the church in Colossae. Because from verse 7 through verse 18, he's sort of given salutations and, and attaboys and, and things to his friends and people he knows. But verse 2 and verse, through verse 6, that is Paul's final charge. And man, if that was Paul's final charge to the church in Colossae, man, there's, there's so much application. There's so much application for our lives today because we live in the time frame of Laodicea. So man, as, as we dive into this, that, that, that verse 5 which says, walk in wisdom. Man, I believe these four verses give us the, the handles on how we actually do that, on how we actually walk in wisdom. Because let's be honest, man, if we were to look out in, in today's society, in today's world, I would say that wisdom is not the, the way I would define the way most people are walking. It's not a walk that, that, that has wisdom attached to it. So, so what is Paul, as, we, as we've read these verses, what is it that Paul is actually talking about here? Well, notice verse 3, he says he's, he's praying for a door of utterance, okay? What does the door of utterance lead to? This door of utterance leads to the fact that he wants to speak the mystery of Christ, which he's talking about the gospel. He's saying, man, I'm asking for a door of utterance so that I may proclaim the good news to other people. And then you look at verse 6. When he says, walk, he said, verse 5, he says, walking in wisdom toward them that are without. Okay, people that don't know Christ. In verse 6, he tells us exactly how we do that, how we may respond to every man, sir, that does, every man that doesn't know Christ, how we may respond to them when they come to us with questions. So what he's talking about here is he's talking about evangelism. He's talking about being a witness for Jesus Christ. And so I told Tori the other day when I was laying this out, uh, man, I really am a one-track mind. Like, if you give me more than one thing to think about, I, I'm, I'm in trouble. I struggle with the one thing. So we've been going through this stuff with uh, the youth, talking about evangelism, talking about being a witness for Christ and those things. 
and man, it just, this is, this is what's boiling over in my spirit is this subject, is this thing, and, and, and specifically verse 5, which again says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. So I think evangelism, and we've talked so much about it in here, we, we talk about discipleship, and that is the first component of discipleship. You can't build anybody up until they've come to Christ. But I think evangelism, if I'm honest, I think it's, it's sort of the elephant in the room that everybody knows that's what we're supposed to do, but it's, sort of, it, it's so obvious that nobody does it. And I don't, I don't want to speak for you because maybe you're out witnessing and, and winning people to Jesus Christ, but if I were to ask you rhetorically, who is the last person that you have built a relationship with for the sake of the gospel and then led them to Christ? Man, who would that be? And, and, and secondly, how long ago would that be? I'm not going to tell you my answer, because that would be, we're not going there. But, man, it, it's a, it, again, it's a, very, it's a very obvious thing that we're commanded and called to, but again, it's a very neglected thing. So our first thing in our notes here that we'll say is this. If we're not careful, there is a tendency for the main thing, main is your blank, there is a tendency for the main thing to no longer be the main thing. I mean, that's a great danger, and it's something that is, it, as we grow in Bible knowledge, and as we grow in all of these things, and as we look through, uh, what, you know, what, what, what ministry do we need to implement at the church, how do we grow the ministry, how do we do this, man, it's so easy for the main thing to no longer be the main thing, and the main thing is that we win people to Jesus Christ. C.H. Spurgeon said this, every Wednesday night, we're going through a quote, um, from a pastor or a missionary, and this is what C.H. Spurgeon said. I didn't say it. I wouldn't have the gall to, but it's a good one. He says, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Now, man, I didn't say that if, that if, you're, that if you're not, he didn't say that if you don't witness that, you, that, you're not a, that you're not a believer, but man, you can't say that you are following Jesus Christ and not being a witness for Jesus Christ. They just don't coincide. Jesus also uh, gave us the same, the same thought in Matthew chapter 4 where he says this. He's talking to, uh, to Simon and Andrew and a few of the disciples, and it says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And then check out this, this bombshell he drops right here. He says, and he saith unto them, follow me. Okay, what a command. Something that we all know we're supposed to do. Follow Jesus Christ. After we trust Jesus Christ, we are then to pursue him in a daily relationship that calls us to obedience and everything in our life. He says, follow me. But notice this. There's something that, that always happens when a person follows Jesus Christ. And I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So as we, as we look into this, man, what I believe the Apostle Paul is saying is he's laid out so many things. And we haven't gone through all of them in Colossians. It's been a few years. But he's laid out so many things in the book of Colossians. So many practical things. I need to set my affection on things above. I need to, uh, Christ needs to be my whole life. All of these things. But then he, he sort of sums it all up here in this final charge. And man, what he is calling the church in Colossae to do is to keep the main thing the main thing. Don't lose sight of why you're even here. It's such a simple thing. But man, if you know Jesus Christ, and it's so easy to lose sight of this, 
But if you know Jesus Christ, when you wake up tomorrow on Monday morning, and, and I've said it before, I'm not a fan of Monday mornings. But when you wake up tomorrow on Monday morning, there is actually a reason that you're waking up. And the great reason is the mission. It's the mission of Jesus Christ to share the gospel. So we're going to ask this question as we kind of get into it. And I don't know if you ever thought about it like this, but, no, but notice this question. What is your personal strategy? Strategy is the blank. What is your personal strategy for accomplishing the Great Commission in your life? I don't know if you ever thought about it like that, but I think if, we're, if, if I'm honest, and, and, could, and maybe you've been here before too, but it's easy to approach evangelism a little bit like a Calvinist. As dogmatically against Calvinism as we, as we are, it's easy to sometimes do that and to think like this, God, if you want me to lead a soul to Christ, I pray that they would, they would just come up to me and they would, they would ask me how, how they need to get saved. And, and if you're like me, you know what, that, that, that's never happened. Nobody's ever done that to me, okay? And so I think we approach it a little bit too mystical, but, but notice that the great commission, it is a commission that God has to do through us, but it's also something that we have to take part in. It's a commission. It's not the great submission. I don't just say, God, do whatever you want, and I'm just going to hang out. No, it's something that I have to go in on and take part in. It's the great commission. So what is your personal strategy for accomplishing the Great Commission in your life? Is the, great, is the Great Commission taking place in your life? Is the Great Commission taking place in my life? If it's not, man, how am I going to re-strategize my life so that it can? That's the question. So, so here with the Apostle Paul, again, we're talking about walking in wisdom, which I've already, I've already laid out. I believe the, to walk in wisdom is to go out every single day truly with the mindset that you are obsessed with personal evangelism. I've been laying out to the youth in, in our, our Wednesday night series that we started. is, is called, uh, what's it called? Baden, Baden's like, don't ask me. It's called being consumed by evangelism. And this is what I believe. I believe this is the hardest thing that any Christian will do, especially in Laodicea, is being a personal witness on purpose all the time. And I believe because it's so hard, and, and like this morning in prayer room, we were talking about fear. And, and, and the spirit of fear will, will press in so much on this subject. And when you're trying to invest the word of God into other people's lives, because of that, I believe this is a subject that if you just dabble in, you'll, you won't do it. I believe if you just dabble in evangelism and say, you know what, every once in a while I may care and try to, try to throw a witness flare out to somebody else. I believe you'll never do it with that mindset. I believe it's something that has to take over your life. You have to realize, man, this is why I'm here. So the Apostle Paul lays out some things that, that help us get on that track of walking in wisdom, which is walking with that mindset and that pursuit in our life. Number one, I want you to see the right prayer. The right prayer. Notice what he says in verse 2. Continue in prayer. Now, he, he certainly uh, puts an emphasis on the kind of the elephant that he's assuming we're already praying. So it, it would go without being said, if you're not praying, uh, I would start praying. But he says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. So two things I, I'd want you to see here in this right prayer. Okay, are, are we to pray about, about everything? Absolutely, that's what the word of God commands us to. Okay, he says, pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5. 
I'll talk about this morning in prayer room how we are to, we are to cast our burdens upon the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your care upon him. Okay, all of these things are biblical things. But I will say, when you look at the Apostle Paul's life, and he is our model, when you look at his life, the thing that consumed the Apostle Paul's prayer life was personal evangelism. It was winning souls to Jesus Christ. So two things in this, letter A, I want you to see, what the right prayer regarding this walk, this walk in wisdom is for personal opportunities to share the gospel. For personal opportunities to share the gospel. Notice this word he uses. He says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. So he's speaking of this thing of being alert, of being sober-minded, of, of, of understanding the, the severity of, of my life and your life and, know, and, and, and paying attention to opportunities around us. Because I think if, if I'm honest, man, sometimes, sometimes I'm praying for opportunities, but sometimes I just simply miss opportunities. They're presented themselves, and I simply turn a blind eye to them because I'm not sober-minded and watching. I'm not consumed by that thing. And so because of that, it's the last thing on my mind, and I'm missing opportunities. So if this is a very simple thing, but if I'm praying about something, you know what I'm also doing? I'm constantly thinking about that thing. What I pray about, those are the most important things to me in my life and, and, and to you in your life. So, man, we, we need to be praying for personal opportunities to share the gospel. 1 Peter 4, 7, he says, But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober, okay? Man, clear-minded, okay? So the opposite of that would, to be double, would, would be to be double-minded. So a double-minded man, you know the verse, is unstable in all his ways. And man, that is where Laodicea lies. Is we are, it's so easy to be focused on 50 different things to where the main thing is not the thing, and we're no longer sober-minded. He says, be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. First Peter 5, 8, he says a very, th- a very similar thing. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Man, I, I, the, the biggest thing, the, one of the biggest distractions that Satan and, and his dark kingdom can do in our lives is to simply distract us from this main thing. I see so many things, I was talking about it Wednesday night, and I can be cynical sometimes, so I have to guard myself, but I see so many things on Facebook where people are like, man, the devil's trying to get me. The devil's out there trying to get me today, and they're talking about like going out and making money or something. And I'm like, man, the devil don't care about that in your life. What the devil's trying to prevent us from is from doing the main thing. That's what he cares about. He's not consumed with, with this stuff. He, he, he wants us to be consumed with this stuff so that we're not consumed with that stuff. And the eternal things. But he says, be sober and be vigilant. Man, in our prayer life, if we're ever going to get to the place, if I'm ever going to get to the place where I truly am consumed by evangelism, get to the, getting to the place where I'm walking in wisdom as Paul is laying out here, man, it's going to have to start in the mornings with my prayer life. And getting before the Lord and getting at the feet of Jesus Christ and asking him, to open up doors for me personally to share the gospel. James says that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I guess the question is, do I believe that? 
And if I believe that, am I ever getting fervent about souls in my own prayer life? That's what Paul's calling us to right here, to pray for personal opportunities to share the gospel. But letter B, secondly, for open doors for the body of Christ. So he doesn't want us to just pray for individual opportunities, although we definitely should. That's what's happening in verse 2. But he wants us to pray on the behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ that they would have open doors to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's laying out here. Look at verse 2 again. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all, praying also for us. Okay, what is he, is he, is he asking him to pray for his back, to pray for his thorn in the flesh? No, no, no. That God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for, for which I am also in bonds. Man, if we would get to the place where the Apostle Paul is at, that we would see every door in our life, we talk about doors being open, if we would see every door as simply a, an avenue for the mission, man, that's what a door is in the, in the Word of God. That's what Paul is asking us to pray for. So, man, you want to pray for me? Pray that God would give me individual opportunities to share the gospel. If I want to pray for you, man, I need to, do I need to pray about other things? Absolutely. But Paul is saying, man, I need to be praying for TJ. I need to be praying for Justin, that God would open up individual doors for them, opportunities to share the gospel. It's the right prayer. Man, if, if it doesn't start in the morning as I get before the Lord, man, it's not going to translate into actually happening on a day-to-day -day basis in my life. 2 Corinthians 2.12, he says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me of the Lord. Notice, this door in the word of God, again, is an opportunity to preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 16.9, For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. Man, maybe the door that you're praying for in your life, and you're talking about a job, or you're talking about something else, maybe that door is a door that the Lord will open. I hope he will. But maybe that door, on the other side of that, God is intending that you be a better witness for Jesus Christ because of that door he's opening for you. This is, this is, this is what the door represents in our life, biblically. So this is the right prayer. So again, we're asking the question, man, what's your personal strategy for accomplishing the Great Commission in your life? Well, it's got to start right here. Because prayer is, is, is where the power is. And if we don't press in to the Lord in prayer regarding this stuff, then man, it's actually not going to come to fruition. But secondly, notice the right walk. The right walk. So here it goes. Colossians 4, 5, this is the verse. And I, I, I say all the time that I have my life verse changes all the time. And I think this is my like second half of 2023 verse right here. This is it for a while. But walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Okay, so there's a, there's a, there's a right walk, and, and, and this walk that Paul is calling the church in Colossae to is focused on this main thing being the main thing. Letter A, very simply, I want you to notice the direction of this walk. The direction of this walk. He says, walk in wisdom. Okay, what is that? Where are we heading? Where are we going? Toward... Them that are without. Who's he talking about there? He's talking about lost people. He's talking about people that don't possess the same thing that we possess that know Jesus Christ. 
I, t- I was telling the youth the other night, I, it's, I, I think like this sometimes, but it's, it's very easy for me to be calloused of the, to the reality that I, that I know the truth, that my wife knows the truth, that my kids are surrounded by the truth. Because I was, like my kids, I was raised in a Christian home, and I've always been around the truth. Um, but, man, there are actually, this is the sad thing, and this is where I'm calloused and sometimes not grateful enough to the Lord as I should be. There are people out there right now that are actually seeking souls. They're actually seeking, they're seeking something in their life. They realize that their life stinks. They realize that their life ha- is nothing but a dead road. They, re- they have no hope. They have no peace. They have no joy. They realize there's more, than, there's more to life than what they're living. But man, I wonder how eager I am to actually be the person that could share them where the hope actually lies. This is, this is what the Apostle Paul's saying here. He's saying, walk toward them that are without. So, man, as we wake up tomorrow morning, as I wake up tomorrow morning, am I seeking to go and direction my attention and my focus? Am I, am I seeking to set my steps toward them that are without? That's what the Apostle Paul is laying out here. 1 Thessalonians 4.12, he says, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without. Man, they... Those people without, not only do they not know Jesus Christ, but they actually have no purpose for living. They may not verbalize that, they may not admit that, but at this present moment, they don't have a purpose to breathe every day. They have no purpose. They don't have the purpose in which we have. So, man, am I going to walk, are you going to walk toward those people on a day-to-day basis? Here's our next blank. Walking uh, Walking toward lost people. For the sake of the gospel is always wise. So when when looking at verse 5, you could say, Dylan, isn't it saying that I need to have wisdom as I go toward them that are without? Absolutely. And we're going to talk about that in the next point. But we also know, according to Proverbs 1130, he says, and he that winneth souls is wise. So if you want to have a wise walk, if you want to prioritize your life in wisdom for the rest of your days, man, prioritize it to this right here prioritize it to walking toward them that are without because he that winneth souls is wise man that is the exact opposite of what john lays out in revelation 3 when talking about the laodicean church being naked and poor and blind and miserable and that's not a that's not a walk in wisdom because it's it's an inward focused walk it's a walk where i'm I become focused on me and my problems and my needs rather than walking toward them that don't have the same hope every morning that I have. That's, where, that, that's the walk in wisdom. But secondly, I want you to see the value of this walk. So the direction is to walk to those that are without. Very simple. Go to the, go to the lost every single day. Make that your, your focus. Don't, if, if you ever lead somebody to Christ, if I ever lead somebody to Christ, may it not be an accident, but actually strategically done. But then secondly, man, there's some value in this for us. The value of this walk, notice again, verse, uh, verse 5. He says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Notice this, this is big. Redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. We just went through on Wednesday night, and this is why I, I went to this subject after talking about end time stuff. But for Wednesday night after Wednesday night, and we didn't hear with the adults some, if you were here, but we talked about end times and, and what is to come, uh, you know, prophetically. 
Okay, and this was my whole thing. And the teens have heard me say this at nauseam. But this is my whole thing. Man, if we fill, if we fill our minds with the stuff that we looked at, but it doesn't actually motivate us and cause us to go out and be better witnesses and to press into the cause of Christ more, then it's a waste of time. It is truly knowledge that puffs up. Because knowledge without virtue, without virtue always puffs up. And so, man, this is, this is the whole thing. My whole goal of the, of the stuff that we were looking at on Wednesday nights was to remind us that time is short. Because I, I believe that it is. And if you were to talk to me more about that, you'd think I'm, I'm, I'm a heretic. But I believe it's really short. I believe the rapture is very close. I believe it's extremely close. But that alone doesn't do anything for me if I don't actually do something with that knowledge. Man, I need to go and walk toward them, them, that, are, them that are without redeeming the time. The reason this has value in our own life is because the word redeem means to buy back. It doesn't just mean to purchase for future things. It means to buy back something that was lost. So if you're like me, and I'm sure most, a lot of you are, you've had wasted years in your Christian life, right? You've had wasted time in your Christian life, but according to this promise, the way that you can buy back some of that wasted time as you approach the judgment seat of Christ is as you wake up tomorrow morning going forward in your life, is to walk in wisdom toward them that are without. And you can buy some time back. You can get some, some wasted time back on your record at the judgment seat of Christ. That's a valuable thing. That's a, an extremely valuable thing. Ephesians 5 says this, redeeming the time, same, the same phrase. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Does that not apply today? Because the days are evil, we ought to redeem the time. Wherefore, be ye not unwise. It's an extremely parallel passage. Don't be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord is that we walk toward them that are without. That is the will of the Lord. So here's our next blank, and I've already, I've already said it. But you can buy back wasted time. By simply investing your life into personal evangelism. So man, how good is the grace of God? Well, it's extremely rich. He, it was so rich that he offered salvation as a gift. Right? We're sinners. We're lost. We're, we had no mediator. Jesus Christ came and offered himself to be the bridge to a relationship with God. But his grace extends much more to that, that he offers a relationship with us on a day-to-day -day basis. And... So much so that he gives us a reason to live. But his grace goes much more beyond that. He, he, even if I've lived outside the confines of why I'm here, he allows me to make up for it. And to build up points to make up for the time I've wasted in the rear view. That when I stand before him, it may be a better day at the judgment seat because, of, because I've given my life or you may have given your life to this one thing. Man, let's redeem the time. Time is short. Let's redeem it. Let's walk in wisdom toward them that are without. And then number three, notice the right way. The right way. So is there a right way to do it? Yeah, absolutely. Verse six, he lays that out. So notice again, I said that anytime you walk toward them that are without, that's a wise walk. That is full of wisdom. But we could look at it from the other side of the coin that he does say walk in wisdom. So I don't need to just walk 
you know, foolishly to those that are without. But I believe that what he's laying out here, the way we do that is in verse 6, in this right way. And he says this, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. So the first thing I want you to see is letter A, the proper demeanor in which we do this. So Dylan, you think there's a proper demeanor in the way we have to carry ourselves when we walk? Absolutely. He says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Notice that contrast right there, but it's so important. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. So we need to go, as we go to the lost, as we are walking toward them that are without, we need to be full of grace. Okay, Ephesians 4.29, he says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Okay, that it may, uh, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So if I go and, and, and the way I'm seeking to walk toward them that are without, and I'm, I'm full of, of uh, having no grace and no mercy, and I'm just, I'm rude, man. Obviously, you knew that coming in here. People are not going to listen to that. I'm, you're not gonna, I'm not going to reach anybody like that. You're not going to reach anybody like that. We need to be full of grace. We need to be long-suffering. We need all of those traits. But notice on the flip side of that, it does also need to be seasoned with salt. In Matthew 5, he says, ye are the salt of the earth. Okay, so one guy said it like this, God's prophet is no sugar stick. God's prophet is no sugar stick. If, if I'm only going and only looking to display grace, then you know what will happen? I'll never give them the truth because the truth, the truth is offensive. You go and you try to, to uh, invest in somebody's life and they've never heard this stuff and they don't know anything about this whole stuff and, and you're telling them they're a sinner, that's offensive. The problem is, man, if, if salt never becomes part of the equation, you'll never give them the truth. But that's why grace does precede salt. As you build a relationship with somebody through grace, man, when the opportunity, when that open door does show itself, that's where the salt comes. But notice what the second part of Matthew 5 says. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. So what is salt? Salt preserves things, Right? Salt preserves things. So the reason we're compared to salt here is as we go out and, and we are gracefully investing in other people, as we are walking out in grace toward them that are without, man, when the opportunity shows itself, the only thing that will preserve those people's lives and those people's eternity is the truth of the gospel. That's the salt. But notice what he says here, man, if I'm not going to carry that with me, if I'm not going to have that salt in my life, you know what he's pretty much telling me? You're useless, Dylan. You're actually not investing your life, and you're not doing what you're meant to do. That's what salt is meant to preserve, but if you throw no salt on anything, guess what? It doesn't preserve anything. And that's what he's laying out here in Matthew 5. So the way that Paul is laying out how we're to carry ourselves is a lot like what the way Jesus carried himself. So we have to submit our life to him, surrender to him so that he can do that through us. But notice John 1.14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's the way he's calling us to walk. Walking toward them that are without, being full of grace and truth. Man, if I'm, if I'm all truth, you know what? I never get that open door 
you never get that open door to, to speak into somebody's life. And if you're all grace, you've got a million open doors, but you never actually walk through it. I, I, told, the, I told the youth, the, one of the biggest temptations, because some of this that we're laying out is, is evangelism through building relationships, right? Investing your life in people and growing a friendship with them. Okay, the great temptation is going to be, as you, as you approach this, is, is building relationships with other people, but then you actually never going over the reason you're actually building a relationship with them to begin with. As the opportunity shows itself, you just kind of, I'm like, well, I don't want to make things awkward. You know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to rock the boat or whatever that is. So, man, we have to be balanced, full of grace and truth. And then letter B, lastly, notice the Apostle Paul lays out the proper response. The proper response, Colossians 4, 6, let your speech be always with grace and seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. So, man, as we, as we go and as we walk toward them that are without, what should happen if our testimony backs us up? And that should, that's another sermon. But if our, if our testimony is in line with, with us walking toward them that are without, you know what? They start having some questions. They wonder why our life looks different than theirs. Because, again, they don't even have a purpose to live, people that are without. They have no hope. They have no peace. They have no joy. They have no relationship with the Lord. They have no knowledge of truth. They have none of that. And so they are, they are wandering out aimlessly. And so when they see something different in our life, as they should, as we're intentionally walking toward them on a day-to-day basis, then, man, you know what? They, they begin to ask some questions. They begin to ask some questions, and that is where, because we've already been intentionally focused on that, and because we're actually walking toward them, you know, it's not by accident, but it's focusedly done, that's when we, man, we're, we're always ready to give an answer. We're waiting for that opportunity. We're waiting to invest the word of God and the truth of the gospel into their life. We're looking for that open door. We're praying for it. We prayed for it before we went out that day. But 1 Peter 3 says this, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you. Brother Charlie, can you play like a softball deal? Okay. Thank you, brother. So, man, that, that's, what, that's what Peter's calling us to. That's what Paul's calling us to. Man, we have to always be ready to give an answer to every man that asks, that asks man, man, what's different about you? Why is it that you seem to have hope? Why is it that you seem to have a different outlook on life? What is that? They notice something. And so, you know what? It goes back to that thing of watching that we talked about. As I'm praying and as I'm seeking opportunities, as I'm going out every single day, I've taken that to the Lord the morning before. Man, it goes with that thing of being sober-minded and being focused on actually what I'm, what I'm here to do. Notice Proverbs 25, 11 says this, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Now, I'll be honest, I don't know what that is. I don't know what apples of gold and pictures of silver is. If you know, come tell me after. Uh, I mean, I think he's using some analogy there. But at the end of the day, this is what I know. It's valuable. It's valuable. And so a word fitly spoken, as we go and as we approach these people, as we're intentionally walking toward them that are without on a day-to-day basis, man, sometimes the, the, the right answer, as God gives us open doors, the right word that is fitly spoken to them at the right time in their life, man, that's how the Spirit of God can use the Word of God in their life. That's how He does it. He begins to soften their heart and, and give them exactly what they need at that very moment. So man, again, as we close, I'll ask you this. 
what is your personal strategy for accomplishing the Great Commission in your life? Are you like me a lot of times? And you, you approach it like a Calvinist? You're just walking around and you're like, well, if, God, if, somebody, if God wants me to lead somebody to Christ, he'll, he'll, they'll just show up at my door. I'll just run into him at the airport or whatever. Man, it's the Great Commission. It's something that God does through me and God does through you, but it's something that I have to take part in. I have personal responsibility for it. And I will answer. That's the first thing I believe according to Job 26. It's the first thing that I'll be asked and I'll have to give answer to at the judgment seat of Christ. Is how, what I did with his name. How I shared the gospel. How I evangelized the lost. Was that a part of my life? Was it sprinkled in or was it the main thing? So you do business with the Lord this morning. You do it in your seat. You come forward. Do whatever you need to do. If, you, if you're lost and you've never trusted Christ, then all of this had nothing to do with your life right now. Except for the fact that you need Jesus Christ. You don't have a relationship with him. And again, I, I was talking earlier that he is the mediator. You are separated from God. If you, if you don't know Christ right now, whether you realize it or not, you're separated from God. You're separated from him. You have no relationship with him. But Jesus Christ came. That's why he died. That's why he bled. That's why he rose again. So that you could trust him. That you, would, that you could come to him and receive him into your life on the basis of what he did at Calvary on the cross. And that you could enter a, enter a relationship with him. So if that's you this morning, you come forward too. I'll, I'll be glad to take a Bible and show you how you can do that this morning. You do business with God as, as he leads you.